Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Most, I mean, you know, I don't know how to, how to gauge most important news. Here is some news related to um, the the coronavirus. I know that for particular groups of people, it's one specific thing that kind of triggers their sense of anxiety or panic. And so, my sis, my sister shared with me that yesterday she was meeting with an elderly uh, couple in her business, and um, they were weeping. They're Roman Catholic. They have literally attended daily mass every day together of their married life. And they're being told they can't do that or they that that was what they that that was what they thought was happening. Actually, what's happened um, is you can't uh, weekly mass like the one where everybody goes together. That is um, restricted in many places, canceled in many places. Um, However, I just think it's really important for people to know your church is probably open for private prayer. And um, and if you're Catholic, daily mass is actually still available. Um, it's it's large gathering kinds of things that are being restricted. Okay, and then here would be the other sort of panic point for a lot of people. And that's related to schools. So um, as of this morning, well, actually, as of last night, I only have the latest information as of last night. So this comes from Education Week. As of Thursday evening, 10,600 schools closed across the country, entire states, including Maryland, Michigan, New Mexico, Ohio, Oregon, Washington, and the District of Columbia, have uh, statewide school closures. Uh, I understand that we also have um, possibly statewide closure in Colorado. I'm going to ask Adam Holtz that question in just a moment. And so here's the question. If schools are closed, uh, are kids going to go to the mall? Can they go to the YMCA? Are they going to go to the movies? Is that a good idea? I'm going to talk with Adam Holtz about that up next. We're continuing our conversation here on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In Ministry. Adam, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. I feel like people in places like Colorado where, you know, you would get a blizzard and then you'd have to stay at home for a period of time and you'd have to yep. find things to do inside with your family. Being, you know, having the suggestion that your kids are going to be out of school and um, and you're going to all be home together for a period of time Maybe not as traumatic for people who live in places like Colorado. Yeah, that may be true. I mean, I actually did pitch it that way to my kids. Uh, we got we did last too. Night that we totally pitched there. it that way to our kids. It's a privilege to no. get to stay home for two weeks with us. No, right. It's a big snow day for everybody. <laughs> so uh, whether we're breaking out the sleds or not is an is an open question. We're actually supposed to have a blizzard today. We're supposed to get six inches of snow today. So it actually might be a snow day too. Um, 
Yeah, no, I think that it is it's an opportunity for families to uh, have enough time to get deliberate about what we're doing. You know, you can usually meander your way through one day, but uh, our spring break is the week after next. So we're going to be home for at least two weeks. And, you know, depending on how dire a website you read for your news, it may be longer than that. Um, but uh, I think there's an opportunity here if we can if we can get our heads around the disruption and, and obviously it's a bigger disruption for some than others. Uh, mm-hmm. It's I, I can work from home, but not everybody can do that. So um, I know it's a it's more than an inconvenience for many families. Yeah, absolutely. And we're we've talked about that in other segments, just in terms of how to how to w- serve our neighbors well um, in the midst of this. How about you and I turn our attention to how the entertainment industry is reacting to, responding to, behaving in the midst of COVID nineteen? Well, it's pretty much a shutdown. I mean, honestly, and and it it really picked up steam yesterday. A week ago, they announced that the new James Bond movie, ironically called No Time to Die would be pushed back. Um, and then it's just sort of been like dominoes. Pretty much all of the major movies in the next month to six weeks have now been pushed back, you know, either for a couple months, some of them indefinitely. Uh, and that includes Peter Rabbit to the runway for those who were breathlessly awaiting the Peter Rabbit sequel, uh, quiet place part two F nine, which is the fast and furious franchise Mulan, the New Mutants, which is a Marvel superhero movie. Um, and then, you know, concerts and festivals have been canceled too. So South by Southwest, uh, the Tribeca Film Festival, um, Coachella. And then we're seeing, you know, you name it. If somebody's on tour, I've heard Pearl Jam, Billie Eilish, Blake Shelton, and I'm sure that list is a mile long of people canceling in either individual concerts or entire tours. So um, it's kind of the apocalypse for the entertainment industry. And yet, if you like sort of turn that around, um, I suspect that streaming services are going to really be booming. Oh, yeah. Um, and people are going to be looking for high quality options. Um, yep. I know, you know, I know that we now have a subscription to Pure Flix, but uh-huh. um, there are lots of streaming services out there. Let's just have a very brief conversation about how do you evaluate, how do you even begin to evaluate all of that? Because there's different stuff that you might like on different platforms. Can you make right. up your own, like, you know, smorgasbord? Like, how does that work best? Well, I think it. I don't want to pay for right all of them. Like, that, right? It's crazy. Right. No, and we have we have three of them. We have Disney Plus, which we basically got for The Mandalorian and haven't looked at since, um, and Netflix and Amazon Prime, and. You know, it's sort of like, well, maybe this is on Amazon. No, it's not on Amazon. Well, maybe it's on Netflix. Oh, maybe it's on Disney Plus. There's this sort of weird new hunt and peck that, ironically, even though it looks a little different, ultimately isn't that much different than channel surfing used to be. You know, when we were growing up back in the day, we, you remember you would get the TV guide in the newspaper each week? Do you remember that, Carmen? <laughs> Do you not I mean, remember the actual like, like physical TV guide that was like a published? No, that well, that book? too. But I mean. <laughs> no, but we never bought that, but we got the Sunday paper, which always had, you know, the TV guide the whole in, week it in it. Week. You go through and you would like yeah. circle the things and there would be like no. competition because somebody else wanted to watch yeah. it at exactly the same time. Exactly. And that was not an option. Yeah. So in a weird way, we have all this new streaming technology, 
but we still have the the paradox of choice you know there's so much out there that we could choose from that sometimes we get a little paralyzed so you know i think it comes down to trying to identify individual things that you might want to watch uh and then seeing who has them and i will say you know disney plus has most of the disney catalog uh available to stream so in terms of who immediately out of the gate has the most family-friendly options, I'd say Disney Plus is probably in the running. All right. So we are, you and I are supposed to um, at least talk through some of the movies that are coming out this week. Yes. We talked yesterday here on air um, with Kevin Downs about the I Still Believe movie. And so what if you and I Great. take a very brief break, and when we come back, we actually lead off with that particular movie um, because that is going to be available. Um, well, let's see. It's in, in theaters starting tonight. Yeah. But maybe maybe exactly. it would also be available, um, you know, el- elsewhere in the future. So let's uh, let's talk about I Still Believe when we come right back. I'm talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In Ministry. We'll be right back. All right, I do love our listeners. Um, thank you to all of you who have uh, sent me all kinds of ideas about the streaming services that you use. Apparently, if I want to watch all 53 of the classic VeggieTales episodes, I need to uh, be on Yippee TV. I didn't know that. Um, and this, uh, this particular listener says, hey, what, we did, that what they've done as a family, they are, they are signing up for a free trial subscription to one of these at a time and then being sure that they cancel it as soon as, um, you know, that trial subscription is about to end. And so they're not doing them all simultaneously. They're doing them back to back so as to have something <laughs> have something to watch throughout this entire um, experience, depending on how long it lasts. So there you go, Adam Holtz. There's some of our listener engagement uh, during the break. Um, before the break, we talked about, uh, well, we set up a conversation about the movie I Still Believe. I know that people can read a review of it at PluggedIn.com. Go ahead and tell us about it. Well, this is a story of Jeremy Camp, and I'm sure many of your readers, listeners, excuse me, already are familiar with it, but I frankly wasn't. Jeremy Camp obviously is a, a very well-known Christian musician, and early on, before he was famous, he went to college and was sort of living out a pretty typical Hollywood script in some way, you know, boy meets girl, boy and girl fall in love boy and girl start thinking about the future, but that script got interrupted when the girl, and her name was Melissa, uh, gets diagnosed with cancer. And the thing that makes this such an interesting uh, and I think powerful story is she uh, she was healed of cancer, uh, and they got married, and on their honeymoon, at least the way the, the movie depicts it, I'm assuming that's correct, her symptoms returned, and she soon realized she had cancer again, uh, and it was terminal. And so This is a movie that I think begs all sorts of really important questions about how do we trust God with the hard stuff in our lives? You know, why why does God let bad things happen to good people? What do we do when it seems like the answer to prayer one time is a miraculous healing, but the next time it's not? Uh, And I I really enjoyed the movie. It's a very well-made movie. Gary Sinise is in it. Shania Twain. K.J. Appa stars as Jeremy Camp, and he is a star on Riverdale. Um, And so I think that there's a lot here to sort of get our minds around in terms of um, 
this important issue in our life. And, and I think, especially with the coronavirus right now, it's, it's a, you know, surprisingly providential moment to be having some of these discussions, because I think, you know, without being totally apocalyptic, probably many of us will have people in our, in our, you know, congregations who get really sick and, and perhaps even, you know, don't make it. So uh, this is an important conversation. Apocalyptic is a good word. Um, there are some dystopian things out there right now um, that uh, that Hollywood is offering up. Um, I might be a person who encourages avoiding that, which is particularly dystopian yeah. or apocalyptic right now. I would um, I would lean toward good news stories, um, gospel yep. stories. I um, our kids, you know, we were talking a little bit last night about. What are the things that we want to be sure we watch again? Um, who wants to sort of reorganize the DVD drawer and um, and tee up some things? They liked that movie where um, the kid was trapped under the ice and then you know. Oh yeah, breakthrough. He, yeah, so they want to they want to watch breakthrough again. I mean, they made their list, and I was um, I was really sort of encouraged by that. They they That's definitely great. centered in on on good news um, good news stories, and then obviously they want to watch everything that we have related to Narnia. Like they're excited about that as yeah. well. Um, the the hunt. I'm I'm guessing the hunt, the hunt is dystopian. Uh, Sounds... The hunt is <laughs> is a satirical train wreck. Um, oh. It is a little it is a little bit dystopian. I mean, it's uh, this is a movie in which rich liberals hunt uh, and kill uh, the deplorables, people on the right. Um, and you might think, and when it was supposed to be released last fall, it was right after. A couple major mass shootings, and so they wisely postponed it. Um, but it's out now, and it's a little bit much ado about nothing. Uh, it really satirizes, I think, uh, both sides. It, it picks on the right and the left pretty equally. And sadly, I think it's it's a movie that actually has some surprising things to say about our tendency to stereotype those who are different than us. Us, I think that's the message it's trying to deliver. But the violence is so staggeringly over the top, as is the language, that, you know, I don't need to go to a bloodbath satire to know that God asked me to love people who aren't like me, you know? Um, and this one will come and go extraordinarily quickly, you know, especially given the fact that probably most people are not going to the movie theater this weekend. <laughs> right. Yeah, which would be another part of this conversation. Um, so, um, let's, uh, let's talk about Wendy and then, um, and then yeah. let's also sort of tee up. I am Patrick. Wendy yeah. is a character people will recognize, but a story that they won't. Yeah, that's right. Wendy is a new take on the Peter Pan, uh, story kind of told from Wendy's perspective. And so the overarching story is the Peter Pan story, but it's, um, done by the guy who directed Beasts of the Southern Wild, which came out, oh man, seven or eight or nine years ago. And this has got a very gritty, realistic feel to it. It's a PG-13 movie for some violence and for some language. Uh, ironically, this is not a great kids movie. I wouldn't, you don't want to take your kids to it. It's, it's almost a Peter Pan reflection on growing up for adults. So uh, interesting film. Uh, really, apart from those content concerns, um, some lovely things to say, but probably not the Wendy or the Peter Pan movie that you want young children going to. 
All right. And then we had a little bit of a humorous back and forth in terms of the planning for today, because I am Patrick. If yeah. uh, if you're. <laughs> well, yes, but there are several ways to go with I am Patrick. Oh, there so, are. There are. Yeah. So talk with us about um, this. I, I assume this is a forthcoming film. I am Patrick. Yeah. In theaters. It's actually, in a couple of... it's actually in theaters next week. It's a Fathom Events film. It's those commercials you see before a lot of movies. Oh, yeah. So it's Tuesday and Wednesday. Wednesday, um, And it's Jonathan Reese davies I think I got his name right. It's Gimli. Uh, <laughs> that's how I always say it. Um, portraying, you know, one of the most remarkable saints in Christian history. Uh, and full disclosure, I'm going to be watching this movie today. I haven't seen it yet. <gasps> But I know that he brings a, a level of veritas to – and gravitas, that's what I meant to say, and probably veritas too, um, to everything he does. Uh, so I'm looking forward to watching it. I just haven't had time to carve out to do it yet. So it may be one that uh, – look for something from us next week, whether it's a full review or a blog post. We'll be commenting on it somehow. All right. For those of you not familiar with the term veritas or the word gravitas, uh, Adam <laughs> will be offering definitions. Now, ver- veritas uh, is just like speaking truth. truth. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Okay. Right. And, and gravitas my, is like my, the weight of something, the weightiness of something. That's exactly right. Huh. It, it's, oh, uh, I mean, he even just looking at the movie poster, you know, he's just sort of this imposing, bigger than life figure, and uh, and Patrick's story, obviously of somebody who had a transformative influence on uh, really Western history as we know it. I mean, uh, it's uh, unfortunately St. Patrick's Day has descended into this weird holiday where people drink green beer, but that's certainly not where it started. So learn more about St. Patrick if that's something you're interested in. Yeah, and apparently there are um, there's actually some of his own writings that are lifted up in this film. So that's kind of cool. Oh, okay. You know yeah. more about it than I do, it sounds like. So, But that's well, your job. That's my job, too. St. Patrick, get... Patrick wrote some things, and you are going to hear some of those things and watch him write some of those things in this film. So the context of, like, how those things came to be as a part of this conversation, which is kind of cool for those of us who read stuff. So, there you yeah, go. Yeah, absolutely. All right, um, Adam, we, uh, we appreciate your being here. Um, probably next week, you and I are going to have to focus in on things that are not in theaters. No, I'm going to be retooling for all kinds of radio conversations <laughs> because the theater has been canceled. So, you know, here's the good uh, news. We'll, radio we'll radio else. never cancels. We do not. Radio never cancels. So we're going to be here every single day, and we look forward to having you back as well. Yes, as long as you can spray your mics off with disinfectant, you'll be golden. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Hey, thanks, man. Yep. Talk to you next week. We'll talk to you next week. We'll be right back. So we've got some new uh, Pew research that is out from Pew Forum. You can actually read it at pewforum.org. Um, it is uh, taking a look at categories of, uh, of people here in the United States. So uh, maybe of greatest interest to me would be the way they have talked with white evangelical Protestants across the country about um, their sense of, the, of President Trump, the Trump administration, um, Christianity's influence and whether or not it's waning Uh, And I thought that a good conversation partner for all of this might be Bruce Ashford. And so Dr. Ashford will be here next. He's the provost of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He and I are going to talk about some new Pew research 
The headline is white evangelicals see Trump as fighting for their beliefs, though many have mixed feelings about his personal conduct. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Licato. Gabriel had his orders. Take the message to Mary. Must be a special girl, he assumed, but Gabriel was in for a shock. Mary was a Jewish peasant who had barely outgrown her acne and had a crush on a guy named Joe. But Gabriel followed through on his assignment. He wasn't about to rebel against his boss, who also happened to control the universe. He visited Mary and told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. The story of Jesus begins with the story of a great descent. The Son of God became the child of Mary. He became one of us so we might become one with him. He entered our world in the high hope that we will enter his. This is Max Lucado. Joining me now, the provost of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and author and cultural commentator, Bruce Ashford. Welcome back, sir. Hey, it's great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. All right. So you have posted at BruceAshford.net um, a series of articles about the ethics of warfare. And I will admit to you that the one news item that caught my attention last night, in addition to sort of the <clears throat> cascading news related to the coronavirus, um, I I was aware that we as the United States took military retaliatory action uh, last night against Iran and its proxies uh, related right. to um, a bombing that took the lives of U.S. service personnel earlier this week. Um, <laughs> war is War is constant in the world, and Christians— do not spend a whole lot of time thinking about and talking about the ethics of warfare. So um, lead us into this conversation. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I I would also mention in connection to the coronavirus, I think we're going to see in the next month or two talk about war. I don't think we'll actually see war. We're going to see talk about war because China is accusing the U.S. of, of being the cause of this virus. The U.S. is accusing China. Um, Iran is also uh, placing blame on the U.S., and we've got a you know, we've got uh, a pandemic that is going to cause serious damage to the economy, to the global economy. I don't know for how long, and that's uh, going to cause serious damage, especially to men over the age of forty, from what I understand from CDC. And uh, yeah, so we've got talk of war, and the Bible tells us there's a, there's going to be wars and rumors of war until Christ returns one day to set the world uh, to rights. And, uh, you know, so I've been writing on war for a long time, and I'm a political opinion writer. And it's interesting that most Americans and Christians don't care about war, don't really think about it or talk about it until it's actually happening. And so I appreciate you being willing to talk about this topic today, even though we don't, we're not in the middle of a war. Well, we're not in the middle of the war, a war, but we we literally like just I mean, it doesn't feel like it was last week because I feel like we've lived a year in the last week um, where we signed a, a, a peace agreement with the Taliban seeking to bring about the end 
of our involvement in the war in Afghanistan. Um, and it does not appear as if uh, peace in that country is um, is prevailing because there's so much internal conflict. There is there there are wars going on around the world that we are involved in in various and sundry ways as Americans. And so I think for Christians to to pause and think about war and warfare and the ethics of it is is really important. So where would you have us start this conversation? Yes. I mean, there's really only three logical categories for, for how a person can approach war and peace. And only one of those categories fits with what the Bible teaches, as I see it. So the three categories are someone can be a pacifist on the one hand. On the other hand, at the other end of the spectrum, a person can be a crusader or a jihadi or a militarist. All of these terms mean basically the same thing. Or in the middle, in the view that I espouse, a person can be an advocate of what is called just war, justice in warfare. So the pacifist view um, and all three of these views want to achieve peace, but they want to achieve uh, it in a different manner. Okay, so pacifism <clears throat> is a view that wants to achieve a universal worldwide peace now, and thinks that it can be done by laying down our weapons. If enough good people just refuse to ever pick up weapons, then eventually we're going to end up with a, a world in which there's peace. So this is very idealistic. I think it's uh, this is not what the Bible teaches. Uh, even if we do lay down our weapons, other people will be picking up theirs, and it will not achieve peace. At the, at the other end of the spectrum, you have people we could call crusaders. We could call them jihadis. When they've been Christian, they've been called crusaders. When they've been Muslim, they've been called jihadis. You could call them militarists, secular people. And this is the view that we can achieve a universal peace if we pick up our weapons and eradicate evil. So anywhere we find evil, find an evil dictator somewhere, go and punish him uh, militarily, all right? And so that's how you achieve peace, by active military aggression. I think this is also um, the wrong view. And we can, if you want to pick up more on uh, and talk about more in a minute why it's wrong, we can. But I think this is also very idealistic. It's idealistic to think that any one nation can identify the, all of the evils that need to be punished and have the capacity to do it. And uh, so that's very idealistic. The realistic option is what is called uh, just war, the just war tradition. And that is that there actually are certain rules of warfare. There are certain criteria by which we decide whether or not our nation should go to war and certain rules of engagement, if you will, that guide us as we wage war. And that this ethic is realistic, not idealistic, and realizes that we can't eradicate evil by laying down our weapons or by picking them up. But what we can do is we can, um, we can punish people for specific injustices against our nation. So if someone does something to us or one of our allies that they shouldn't do, we can step in and correct that injustice, if that makes sense. Okay, so I've been taking notes. So um, pacifist uh, would be one, one position. Um, yes. Advocacy of just war which would be, yep. I mean, I'm going to describe that as the second position because it's between the other two, but we're ultimately yep. going to sort of land yep. there in terms in terms of the conversation. Um, and then I love the way that you describe um, the third position because there's a Christian word, there's a Muslim word, um, and there's a secular word. So we have the crusader, the jihadi, or the militarist. I actually think that is really helpful, just language in terms of thinking about 
um, that it, as a comprehensive category because it does help um, unmask the, the worldview that's operating there, which is this notion that if everybody would just be like me and agree with me, yes. we'd have peace. And um, I have to tell you that that probably wouldn't work. So um, so I agree with you that both the pacifist and then the crusader jihadi militarist position are are idealistic and and unworkable. Um, so when we come back from the break, let's talk more about um, how we become advocates of just war and the things about that that we need to understand in order that we can articulate this position better uh, in the culture today. So I am talking with Dr. Bruce Ashford. He's the provost of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're talking about a series of uh, of articles he has posted at BruceAshford.net. I would call this the Ethics of Warfare series. That's what he calls it, too. We'll be right back. All right, that song is Psalm 46. So let me encourage you to spend some time in the Word of God today. Um, find your find your refuge and your strength and your stronghold in Him. Psalm 46. All right, I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Bruce Ashford. He's the provost of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're talking about a series of articles he has, uh, I'm going to say started, because I don't think that this conversation is done yet, um, at bruceashford.net. It's the Ethics of Warfare series. Um, and and we've are, we've talked about these sort of three categories: pacifist, activist, activist of uh, or advocate of just war, and then the Christian crusader, jihadi, secular militarist um, category. I'd love to jump to that one because that's your most recent piece in this series. Um, why okay. I am not a jihadi? Um, so I recognize that you you have already talked about in this series why I'm peaceful but not a pacifist. I'd love to I'd love to settle in on the conversation um, surrounding the the jihadi category, because I do think this is the one for many um, evangelical Christians. This is the one where we need to understand ourselves and the other. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this category, um, if you just limit this discussion to Americans for a moment, not other nations, uh, we have people who unintentionally fall into this category from across the political spectrum on the left and the right. A number of our political leaders, a number of our commentators on TV, uh, a number of Christians and churches unintentionally lapsed into the jihadi um, category. The jihadi category is people who think that evil can be eradicated and that it's okay for a nation to go around trying to attack people because they're quote-unquote evil. Right, and so people who fall in this category are always motivated either by religion or ideology. They're either motivated by Islam or some some uh, pseudo Christian ideal, or by an ideology. And what they want to do is make the world safe for Islam, or make the world safe for democracy. And um, when you have this view, when you've got some ideological goal that you want to achieve, we want to eradicate everybody who gets in the way of Christianity, eradicate everybody who gets in the way of Islam. It gets in the way of democracy. What you've got is you've got unending war. You think that you can get rid of these obstacles and bring a peaceful world in which your religion or ideology kind of wins the day. But in the end, uh, we're not going to have a peaceful world because evil comes from within. It comes from within the human heart. Evil cannot be eradicated until Christ returns. Um, And so when we've had presidents, Republican or Democrat, who want to wage war to make the world safe for democracy – that's jihad. It's 
not making the world safe for Islam, but it's making the world safe for democracy. It's an ideological goal, and as I see it, <clears throat> you know, in the, in the Bible and in the Christian tradition, you only wage war to correct specific injustices, not to – you never wage war thinking mistakenly and foolishly that you can eradicate evil, that humanity can take a great leap forward um, and that kind of thing. When you do that, you end up just waging war in an, un, in an um, unending manner. So um, there – so here, basically, let me give just very briefly. Do I have a minute? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, man. I'm letting you roll because um, I feel okay. confident I'm going to hear from a lot of people on the uh, safe from democracy category. So I'm making myself a note to be be prepared to respond to that when I hear from listeners about it, because I do think that is um, that is going to jar people awake this morning. They're going to be yeah, jarred so. awake. Yeah, because that that doesn't sound like a bad thing. It does not sound like a bad thing that I would want to make the world safe for democracy. But in order to do that, I have to eliminate everybody who doesn't agree with that way of thinking. Well, there's a whole lot of people in the world right now who do not think that democracy is the best way forward for them. And so I'm, right. what you're saying is I am I any anything that that militaristically imposes my worldview on another person through war, that is a jihadi or crusader mentality that falls into this yeah, third category absolutely. yeah no absolutely. i get it i'm i'm preparing myself to uh answer my listeners when they when their hair is on fire that they heard somebody say that on here and i and i'm, I'm preparing myself i'll be ready okay so i'm going to give uh very quickly eight criteria that a nation should use and these criteria come from the christian tradition but also from secular traditions such as the greeks and the romans they're a couple thousand years old and I'm going to list eight criteria that we should, uh, a nation should use in deciding whether or not to go to war, and that all eight of these criteria have to be met in order to uh, to go to war. The first is just cause. In other words, they have to be there has to be a just or a right cause to go to war, and uh, the only just cause for going to war is to correct a specific injustice. It's not okay to say, oh, we think that nation is bad, we think they're evil, let's go attack them. Um, we're never given permission to do, to do that in the Bible. This is an unjust thing to do. No nation has can give itself permission just to go attacking people that they think are bad. Uh, a, a specific injustice has to be committed. Number two, uh, the person waging war has to be the right authority, and in the United States has Congress. And we've had some times where presidents have waged war, uh, but pretended that they weren't waging war and just saying that this is a conflict, not a war. But in the American Constitution, it is Congress who wages war. In other words, it has to be we the people, our elected leaders, rather than just one person, uh, such as a president or a prime minister, making a decision. Number three, there has to be comparative justice. In other words, uh, we, we should only go to war if the end result we think will be more just or more right than if we didn't go to war. Fourth, we have to have right intention. And the right intention in going to war is to restore peace or correct a specific injustice. Uh, we should not wage war for the purpose of glorifying ourselves, uh, um, expanding our favorite uh, political system, such as democracy, or humiliating our opponent. Number five, uh, we must go to war only as a last resort, uh, only after we've exhausted all realistic nonviolent options like diplomacy and economic sanctions. Now, I say realistic, okay? So um, it doesn't mean that we have to delay forever, but we've got to try, at least briefly, diplomacy and economic sanctions, that kind of thing, 
before we go to war. Number six, probability of success. It is wrong for a nation to go to war if it knows it's going to lose and merely just have its own soldiers killed. Uh, number seven, proportionality of projected results. But a nation has to determine that the results of war are worth more than, anticip than the anticipated costs. And then finally, right spirit, that our warriors, our war fighters should go to war, not just for the lust for power or, or a bloodthirst or a delight in humiliating another nation, but uh, with the mindset that there has been an injustice that must be righted, a wrong that must be righted, injustice that must be corrected. And so these are the criteria for going to war. And I won't go at length unless you ask me to, but there's also criteria for how to fight a war. You know, there are right and wrong ways to fight a war, and it is, it is not true that all is fair in love and war. It's not fair, for example, to rape the women and kill the children. So there are rules of engagement and ways of actually fighting a war. All right. Well, we might uh, have to do those at a later point in time because that's all the time we have today. Uh, that's Dr. Bruce Ashford, provost of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. You can actually read the entire uh, Ethics of Warfare series at BruceAshford.net. Bruce, um, will you come back and we can do the next list the next time? Great. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on the show today. Thanks. We'd really appreciate it. We'll be right back. So lots of um, organizations and institutions and groups issuing calls for prayer this weekend. So I thought I'd read one to us uh, this morning that I received via an email. So this is um, sent to us from the Southern Baptist Convention. They are inviting everyone everyone to be committing to a dedicated time of prayer this coming Sunday, March the 15th, to seek the Lord in unity. Here are some uh, encouragements in terms of how we could pray. Let's ask God in his mercy to stop this pandemic, to save human lives, not only in our communities, but around the world, particularly in places that are not well equipped medically to deal with the virus in the spirit of Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Uh, number two, let's pray for President Donald Trump and other government leaders, international, federal, state, and local, to have the wisdom to direct us to best courses of action for prevention and care in the spirit of Romans 13, 1 to 4. Number three, Scripture says, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Pray that the Lord would give us wisdom in this moment of fear as the foundations of what we know are shaken. That others would realize how fragile life is and how real eternity is and would see their need to turn to God. All of that in the spirit of Psalm 90, verse 12. And then let us ask God to protect our missionaries and their families around the globe, using this global crisis to advance God's kingdom and the good news of Jesus Christ to the whole world. Mark 16, verse 15. Let me be of encouragement to you today to receive, uh, receive all of this as an opportunity. Yes, it is, it is a crisis. It is a challenge. But in all of that, there is great opportunity to express um, our confidence in God, God's love for the world, the way that God reaches out and into human life as the great physician, uh, as the one who provides for us and cares for us. We ask him to place a hedge of protection around us um, and, and to bless us that we might bless others. All right, friends, have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.